You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. We're, we're glad you're here with us today. We're in a series called um, Heroes of the Faith, and we're kind of walking through, right now we're in the book of Daniel, and we're actually going to switch gears just a second. We're going to stay in the book of Daniel, but rather than going out of the book of Daniel and talking about three important dudes later in our Heroes of the Faith series, we're just going to take a short pause on talking about Daniel in the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about three other guys you've probably heard of who are in a much hotter place than Brad and Tony were. Um, and these guys we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, if we're following the Hebrew name. So we're going to take a quick pause out of Daniel's story, for the most part. And we're going to stay in the book of Daniel to talk about these three guys. But before we get to that point, um, I want to recap a little bit what's led us to this point, because if we don't know, again, how they all got there, we're going to misunderstand what happens in the Scripture today. So if you're following along, turn with me into the book of Daniel, and we're going to pick up here into, actually, it's going to be chapter 2. And I want to recap a little bit and read you a little bit. You mentioned last week that... King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And his offer to all the wise men, the soothsayers, the magicians, enchanters, and all those fancy people that he had in his court, he said, you got to tell me what the dream is and interpret the dream. So two things going on. Or you're going to be put to death. And that's where we found Daniel in the story last week. So you can check that out online. And we're going to pick up in that story because I want to pick up into this dream. And why is the dream important? I'll tell you why. In a moment. So Daniel goes to the king. I'm going to pick up in verse 24. He went into Arioch. That's the guy in charge of the, the king's guard who is set out to kill everybody. And the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and he said this to him, you know what, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Don't kill everybody. I'm going to show the king the interpretation. And Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste quickly and said, you know, I've got a guy, found a guy among the exiles from Judah, a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Now remember, these guys at this point in their life, they're not adults yet. They're still teenagers. And Daniel was brought into captivity in, in Babylon with guys he was with from the tribe of Judah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're here in the story, just not yet. So that's why I wanted to back up a little bit. King declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king in verse 27, and his first word is what, if you're following along? No, maybe not the word you want to lead with when your neck is on the line. Can you interpret the dream? He says, no, wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. 
to you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Because remember, they got together and they prayed. Him and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They all got together and prayed. And God revealed King Nebuchadnezzar's dream through a dream to Daniel. So that he would know what's going on. He says, I'm going to tell you your dream. Verse 31. You saw, O king, behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, blew away, and wind carried them so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And right here, King Nebuchadnezzar could have stopped him and said, what are you talking about? I had a dream. I went to Macy's department store. And they got a frosty afterwards, and suddenly there was a camel. And I rode the camel over a rainbow of unicorns. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, he doesn't stop him because this is the dream he had. Daniel says, this was a dream. Notice again, as the, re, you know, we were familiarized, hopefully by this point, with the five elements of Daniel's character. Faith, prayer, courage, consistency, and lack of compromise. He taps into that faith. He says, this was the dream. He doesn't ask the king, was this your dream? In a question mark like tone, like that. He's like, this was your dream. Almost like mic drop, but there's more. Now I'm going to tell you its interpretation. So I'm not going to tell you the dream. I'm going to tell you what it means. And you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom power and the might and the glory into whose hand he was given, kind of a little giving him a boost here and like recognizing, hey, you are king of Babylon and all this area. The birds of the heavens making rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. Unlike iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these And as you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron doesn't mix with clay. On the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. And that it broke into pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and his interpretation, sure. We actually read this last week. King Nebuchadnezzar then fell upon his face, upon his face and he's bowing down to Daniel, giving praise to Daniel and for the dream. And this dream has already come to pass. Other kingdoms 
the Greeks, and then eventually the Romans are that final kingdom. And the stone breaks that kingdom and fills the whole earth. And that kingdom will never end. And you and I are part of that kingdom. So all this interpretation of this dream has passed. And if you remember what Nebuchadnezzar was in the dream, he was the head of gold. Right? Now why is this important? What does this have to do with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? First of all, they were part with Daniel. They were praying with Daniel for the interpretation of this dream. And if we go back and read the scriptures, it sounds, to be honest, like they all got a piece of that dream and understood what it meant. But Daniel was the one to go before the king. Why is it important that we talk about dreams today to start? Well, because there's this fun thing called science. And in some cases, depending on which way you look at it, you can use science to attempt to disprove that there is a God. Or you can use science to reinforce that God exists. There's something called the continuity hypothesis of dreams. And scientists today are discovering that most dreams are a continuation of what is happening in everyday life. Researchers at Roma Tre University in Italy have come up with this contemporary dream analysis. And there's been sleep study experts and sleep scientists and, and there's actually dream expert. That's a legit title you can be if you don't know what you want to be, I guess, when you grow up. I'm going to be a dream expert. Okay? That's a real thing. It does exist. And they look at dream reports. They look for clues and symbols and, and structures that might correspond with other parts of the dreamer's life. And they use this system called the Hall and Van de Castle system. You can actually look this up. This isn't just made up hoopoo Hall and Van de Castle system, and, and it codifies dreams. And it can be a slow and time-consuming process to manually sift through other people's dreams get a report, write it down, try to identify the elements of those dreams, or if you just ate hot wings and your stomach was messed up that night, and your dream is super weird. And they try to, they're trying to figure out and recognize dream content. And these scientists over there in Italy, they're kind of coming up with this new process. And they, they've designed a tool that automatically scores dream reports using mathematical algorithms. And they've applied that to a database of over 24,000 dreams. Now, while these algorithms were compared to the handwritten reports from the dream experts, the results from this algorithm that they're trying to come up with to do dreams, interpret dreams automatically, it only works about 75% of the time, compared to if even the handwritten reports are accurate. And they say this, whereas ancient civilizations may have interpreted dreams as having supernatural or spiritual origins in modern society, <laughs> we're more likely to analyze our dreams in terms of our waking life, looking for meaningful connections, linking the content of dreams with lived experiences from our day-to-day -day existence. So in other words, dreams having any type of supernatural 
or spiritual origin, meaning, or interpretation, or ability, that's, that's obsolete. That's out of date, right? Absolutely not. There's been a few times in, in my life where dreams have, have mattered. And I remember these dreams. Do you ever wake up with a dream that you're like, I almost feel like I need to write that down? I've had a few of those dreams. I won't share them today. This is not the right time or place for some of those dreams. Every once in a while, there's been three dreams probably specifically in my life that are absolutely knew what they meant when I woke up. I think those are a gift from God. And as we understand and look at what's going on in the story here, no mathematical algorithm could explain why Daniel was able to know what somebody else dreamt and had that dream and interpret it. So to sit here and say in 2020 that, you know, we can use math and science and logic and reasoning and look at who we are. This is important for where we're going. Look at who we are. Look at what we've built. Look at what we can do. We distance ourselves from God. And there is no greater danger to you and I today than trying to do that thing. We need to be closer to God, not farther from God. Because the, the older I get and more advanced in years in life, the more I realize how little I know. How, like how little I actually know. But I know that there is a God. And I know that that God loves me. Who else but a God, capital G, could tell someone what someone else dreamt. And they're running into problems today, even 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years later, because the algorithms that they're trying to come up with take too long. They take weeks, months even, to analyze a single dream. Daniel, with God, and in prayer with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did this in a night. And their lives depended on it. Finishing out this passage, King Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the whole chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king, like, you know, I didn't pray alone. There's a couple of guys who I need with me. And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Now this leads us into chapter 3, which we're going to spend our focus today. Because if we don't know that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were also praying men who had to have faith, then we're going to think that also their story as quote-unquote heroes of the faith is just simply about one story, only about the fiery furnace, but they were with Daniel before this, and brought into captivity with him, and for all we know, existed in leadership with him for many, many, many years after the fiery furnace part. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, in the beginning of chapter 3, made an image of what? Sound a little bit familiar, like we just read this, didn't we? Like some time had passed. In between this, we don't know exactly how long, but I'm sure it's probably not the next day. 
that then he makes this giant idol of gold. And he makes a 90-foot tall, solid gold idol. Think about how much gold you need to be 90 feet tall. That's like an eight-story building tall of gold. Like this little thing right here, this was like $110 at Zales 12 years ago. Like women's rings are super expensive. I know this because I got rid of a boat to put, to put, to put a ring on, on my wife's finger a long time ago. I used to own a boat, had a truck, had a lot of nice things before I was married. Um, <laughs> I'm, just ki- I'm just kidding. So, but this little guy, he's cheap, and, and he's only really coated with, with gold. It's not solid. It's like, I don't know, I'm not good at, you know, vegetables that call themselves carrots but exist in metal. So, um, it's like 14 carat, maybe, does that sound right? But it's like a rhodium plated. It's just like a piece of metal, and only the outside is shiny. It's like it's not solid. If this was solid or worth more than $110 or the inherent value that it has to myself, um, this would be a lot more expensive, right? Even today, gold is, gold is super expensive and worth a lot. King Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of gold. I think sometimes we think today, like, we're so rich or we're so wealthy. Like, you look back in time, man, there were some guys who had a lot 90 foot tall gold idol and so we set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon and so again if we want to understand in this story where we're about ready to go where's Daniel? Daniel remained at the king's court Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are elsewhere so that's why they're part of this story and the, and the Chaldeans and the, all the wise men and stuff, they knew by this point they couldn't touch Daniel. But maybe let's try to get these other guys. So King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the counselors, the governors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the offices and all the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I made a big thing. Come look at it. In a verse. Then the satraps, the prefects, and governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, and the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials and all the provinces gathered for, for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They came. And they stood there before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, a noise, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And it had to be noise because you try to put all those instruments together and it's got to be just a cacophonous horrendous sound like I can't imagine harp and bagpipe and trigon whatever that is we don't even know lyre pipe and horn like all coming together like that doesn't sound good like that's no modern good style of music so just noise you're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and if whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace apparently King Nebuchadnezzar has this fascination of do what I want or I kill you Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the hum, all the nation's languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And I want us to read all this because I think, again, I want to go verse by verse for a, a bit of it because it's one of those stories that I don't want us to, to skip a beat and think we know. Oh, yeah, I know that. No, I, 
we've got to go deeper than this. We think we know it, but we haven't read it in a long time. And if your knowledge of this story consists of a VeggieTales show, you probably want to read it. We were talking earlier in the band, like, I have yet to see a full VeggieTales thing from beginning to end. Um, so, yeah, we've got to rely on the Word of God for this. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the and worship the golden image. I'm fast-forwarding here, in case you're not tracking with me. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed. This goes back to Daniel's request. But you did this, king. You who have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, these men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They're playing to his pride here. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Because before this... King Nebuchadnezzar had recognized that Daniel's God was sovereign, but he didn't own it in his self. So he's still making his own idols and worshiping his old gods. And in verse 13, King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? <sighs> now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the bleh, to fall down and worship, I'm going to give you one more chance when you hear <sighs> to fall down and worship this thing. And if you do, well and good. But if not, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, and this is where we're getting the bulk of our, our message today. And if you don't have this underlined, like I, I've got this whole next two verses just underlined and circled and stuff. So if you're following a Bible app at home, like hit the little highlight button, but really encourage you to underline this. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and they said to king, O oh, oh Nebuchadnezzar, do they call him king? Now, are you picking up on that? See, these are little of the details that we miss if we're not reading verse by verse. O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, not king, whereas the other guys were playing to his pride. O oh, king, live forever, you rule so much. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's perspective was a lot more realistic. You're like, you might be in charge, but you're not God. You're not my king. I might, you might rule over us as a people, but you're not my king. So, O oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Whew. Verse 17, three important things. If this be so, our God whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and... He will deliver us out of your hand, O king, little k. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Listen to a message by Pastor Matt Chandler, and he really kind of drove these points home and he's he's so right because it centers around these three little bits of words god is able 
He will deliver us, but if not. See, a lot of times I think we, we have a, a faith and, a, and a, there's a, a documentary. If you, if you have two hours this week, the best thing you could do for your faith and your family is sit down and watch a documentary on Netflix called American Gospel. It is worth every second of your time. And you'll understand what I'm talking about when we get to this point. Because our American gospel says we just pray hard enough. God's going to come through. Just be a good person. That's all you need. None of that's true. They're not preaching this gospel. That's a different type of gospel. Because in the gospel of our lives, we should desperately need Jesus. Right? Because without Him, we are nothing and can do nothing. And Jesus shows up in this story. You're like, I thought this was Old Testament. Like, yes, it is. And Jesus shows up in this story. In person. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith is so strong, you're like, we believe that God is good. We believe that He can deliver us. Not only that, we believe that He will deliver us. But even if He doesn't deliver us, I'm not going to do what you ask me to do. And some of y'all might be dealing with some sickness or some uh, trouble in life right now, some financial situation, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying. Or you're hoping just quietly. Or maybe you're, you're watching a televangelist or something like that. Well, maybe if I give more. Maybe if I serve more. Maybe if I do that, no. That's not how God works. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know this. The reality for us as Christ followers is that we have to be prepared that our story may not end well or the way we would like. Look at every single disciple Jesus had. If we even look at Judas, to include that number, maybe 13. One killed himself. Eleven were murdered, martyred, beheaded, killed, crucified upside down, flayed alive, shot with arrows. One guy was boiled alive and survived, and then he was put in prison for the rest of his life on the Isle of Patmos, and then we have the book of Revelation. News that we forget about 21 Egyptian Christians being beheaded just a couple of years ago by ISIS. Paraded them out there on a beach in Egypt. Y'all, we have to be ready that our story with, with God may not end the way we want it to. But we have to understand that through that, regardless of how it ends, God will be glorified. And that's what we should be ready to live and, in some cases, to die for. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand this. You're like, again, we believe that God is able. And so if you've got someone dealing with cancer, my dad walked with cancer for a couple of short years. It was very hard. He had pancreatic cancer. Many of you know this. And he fought it and had every surgery he could have and every amount of chemo and radiation that he could have. And for two and a half years, we walked through this process until he died. 
And so I can be praying that God save my father, save my father. I want him here. I want him alive. I'm lo- I want him well, but, but the cancer came back. Do I think that God is able? Yes. There's stories every day of miraculous things that God is doing and can do. I also have to be prepared that if not, God, your will be done. And that you receive all glory. I may or may not have shared this with you before. But I was challenged to write it down a few weeks ago. And as far as my dad was concerned, the last few years of his life were very up and down. He kind of lost his mental capacity. It was very hard to deal with him. We had to Baker Act him. And my dad was a spiritual pillar in my life all growing up. And I look up to him and and ask him questions. He was a lawyer. He was a JAG in the Air Force, Lieutenant Colonel. He served in Vietnam. He served in the Pentagon. Very smart dude. And I looked up to him in many ways until I outgrew him. And I looked down to him in many ways. He was like, he was much shorter. I got my mom aside of the gene pool, I guess. But at the end, he was very hard to deal with. But he, one thing he never compromised, we're talking about Daniel's never compromised, one thing he never compromised was his faith. My dad died on a Sunday morning. I got the call. I was getting ready for church at our last location around 9.30. And the cancer had come back vigorously. It was by this point stage four. Pancreatic cancer was all over his body. They couldn't even do anything else for it at that point. It was, it was everywhere. And most likely, we, we think that one of the, the, the tumors has pinched uh, this important blood uh, vessel near the liver, and that was, that was it. And they say, when that happens, that, that's instantly gone. But my dad died while he was praying, getting ready to come to church on a Sunday morning. He died kneeling down in a chair. Boom, that was it. And God took him. And I have to trust and know that. I always share that with you because what a way to go. Seriously, if I could endure cancer like that one day, if that's what God's plan is for my life, I want to go out praying. Because I can now share this story with you and God is glorified. And not only how he lived, but how he died. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ready for that. And they said, you can, you can ask us to bow down. We're not going to bow down and worship this big old thing you've created. God is able. He will. And we see their faith there. And even if he doesn't, we're good. King Nebuchadnezzar is furious. And the expression of his face was changed. You ever have an argument with somebody? And like you just see their face like shrivel up. Wives, you know this, right? They look at their husbands, you're like your face changed. Husband, fix your face. Girl, wash your hands. Nebuchadnezzar's face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When he ordered the furnace, he did seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm cooking out, like the little itty-bitty hairs on my little doodle arms there, they get burned, you know? And I'm like, ooh, that fire's hot. Ha! You know? And like, I, this is just like, 
Kingsford charcoal in a grill. Like, Ooh, that's a hot fire. Like, this is a furnace. And to understand the fiery furnace, we need to understand what is a fiery furnace. Well, in Babylonian times, a fiery furnace was about the size of most of this stage. It was either a square or a cylindrical thing, all right? A little shape there. It had a chimney going up top. It was usually probably about 14 or 15 feet tall, made of double-walled, thick, thick, thick stone. And they would put the fire in there in the middle. And, and they had a doorway, usually probably about this tall, just enough to go in there and have these little guys scrape out the ash and stuff. There was an access doorway on the front. But around the side, stairs went up because the top was open. And all the fire was coming out. And so he orders this fiery furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. And you know, they would have probably usually taken off the clothes, like, let's save that's a nice cloak, let's save that hat, we'll sell it on eBay later. They would, they would have usually kind of take those things, they're like, you know what, leave it all, and we're just going to burn them all, we're going to keep them wrapped up in highly flammable material. And so they bound them in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And they weren't thrown in from the side, they didn't walk in, they were tossed in from the top. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up. And we know this. They say took up. They didn't push him in. And sometimes that's the way we think of it or we see misinterpreted Bible stories that they just walked into a fire. No one does that. You're not well on the head. Like Even if you've got a spear like poking you to get in the fire, like give me the spear. You know, like this hot in here. I used to play this game called Command and Conquer Generals. It was a computer game with like little. Yeah, anyone play that? And it makes me think of the flame floor tank from like the Chinese army. It's getting hot in here, anyway. So don't worry about that. There's like two people who are with me on that. So like, give me, give me the spear over the the flame. Like you're not gonna march me into this thing. No, they went around up the stairs to the top and they were pushed in, so that gravity could do its thing. And the fire was so hot that the guys who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up the stairs to push them in, it killed them. Yeah! (laughs) And so we see God's providence already because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't killed, but the guys who took them up are. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell. They weren't pushed. They didn't walk. They fell from the top end, bound into the burning, fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, hey, didn't we throw three guys in? Like, I'm the king, I can do math, move little things over there a little bit. Yeah, okay, three, got it. Didn't we throw three guys into the fire? answered and said to the king, "Uh, true, yes, you can count to three. He answered and said, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. I think sometimes we often miss in this story that as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell bound into the fire. They became unbound in the fire. Because Jesus was there. 
See, in our faith and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we're not going to have fires in our life. It doesn't mean that you're going to have no difficulty. It doesn't mean that life's going to be a breeze, that every sickness is going to be cured. There are going to be fires in your life. The only question is, for you and I today, who are you in the fire with? We know what the right answer is, probably. But are we living it? Because if, if we as a church, capital C Church in America, if we as a church were living like Jesus was with us in the fire, we would be living differently in the fire. Some of us are still walking around bound in chains. Yes, life is hard and things are difficult and finances might not be adding up, but you, you're not in the fire with anybody. You're still bound. You're still tied up thinking that there's going to be a logical solution or a mathematical solution or a financial solution or a relationship solution. You've bypassed entirely that maybe the solution you need is a spiritual solution and that's the only solution. Ultimately, that's also the only solution that really matters. Finances come and go. Relationships begin and end. Sicknesses can be healed or they can stick with you. The only solution that really matters for eternity is the spiritual one. And so we have Christians walking around in a fire but still bound because they're not in the fire with anybody. And Jesus shows up here in our Heroes of the Faith series, He is the hero. Let's not forget that. We're talking about some great dudes, but all of them are imperfect. And if we're not paying attention, we will miss how God shows up in the person of Jesus Christ in all of their stories. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the hottest fire. Insurvivable. Unsurvivable. Like if you think your curling iron is bad or the oven is hot when you're baking potatoes or the grill is, that's got to be at least, you know, 400 degrees. This is heated seven times higher than you. This, this furnace was probably thousands of degrees hot. They should have just immediately melted but they're walking around in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar knows what the fourth guy looks like. Do, do we know who Jesus looks like even in a fire? Is he the love and the peace and the joy? Yeah, yeah he is. But are we living it? So King Nebuchadnezzar comes to the door. This is the little short door on the front we're talking about, the burning, fiery furnace. He's getting real close to getting singed himself here. And he declares, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. So they were pushed in, but they walked out. 
And the satraps and the prefects, the governors and the king's counselors all gathered together and they saw the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. It killed the other guys who threw them in. But now their hands are free. They're not bound and the hair of their heads was not singed. That's why I was talking earlier, like I'll just grill something on the back porch and my hair is singed. And not only that, no smell of fire had come upon them. I can't visit a Starbucks without smelling like Starbucks for a day. Anyone have that problem? Colin, I know you've got that problem, dude. I, Colin works at one of those places. I used to work at fast food restaurants when I was growing up. All of my clothes smelled like Wendy's or Sonic. Depending on your perspective, that could be either a really good or a really bad thing. And the smell was unavoidable. When I smoke out meats and my smoker outside, I'm like, I'll put brisket on for 12 hours, something like that. Lisa's, I come inside, I'm like, <laughs> Lisa's like, go, go change. Grace was even wiping, like brushing away her eyes from hot wings that she didn't even eat. Because the aura was just there. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come out of the hottest fire and they don't even smell like fire or smoke. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, you know what? Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, my command. They didn't do what I wanted to do, and God was glorified, and they yielded up their bodies. They were ready to give it all for their God, rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. After this, King Nebuchadnezzar praises God and he has another, another dream and then he ends up a crazy wild man in the wilderness for seven years because he forgets all the things that God has done in his life that he's been able to see and be a part of. He's watched all these things that God has done and they seemingly have happened to other people. But he hasn't made them true for himself. For us to really understand the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we have to understand that there is a fire coming for us all. It's what we deserve. There's not a single one of us who is living or who has ever lived as human who is justified or good all by themselves. And nothing we could ever do could separate us from what is eventually an eternal damnation in the fiery pits of hell. See, this message doesn't sound fun. It's not what some churches are preaching today. But it's the reality. See, death has been removed from us as a culture. You don't see people die off anymore. They happen in hospitals. My mom's living room, with only one person there, nursing homes. It's not, in, it's not in front of us every day. We've removed death, and, and in so doing, it forgot the value of life. We understand, we, we've forgotten that 
to understand that death is coming for us all, and when that death comes, then what? There's the fire. Except for those of us who have walked around with Jesus, who have lived with Jesus, who have understood, say, God, no other God can rescue in this way. I'm afraid that there is a generation of Christianity who is more worried about being good than being godly. More worried about being honored than being holy. More worried about being right than being humble. There's a generation of Christianity that does not understand hell and heaven and the immense and eternal separation between the two. That there's a generation of Christianity who is going about their daily lives like everything's okay. That other people in their circle of friends or influence are just good people and we don't have to ask them, hey, are you a Christian? Hey, beyond that, are you living as a Christian should? Are you sharing the gospel with anybody? Because if you and I were really concerned about a potential death that existed for everybody else, we would be telling them about a different life that could exist now. And we may be living a different one ourselves. We're going to close out on the book of Daniel and Daniel's story next week. But I want us leaving understanding one thing. No other God can save. No other thing can save. No other relationship can save. No amount of money can save. No new car, no new job, no new boyfriend can save. No new house can save. No Roth IRA, no 401k, no pension can save. No other religion can save. No other God can save but Yahweh, our God, and the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Are we living that out? Because if we're not, we're just going to leave here like it's every other Sunday and Josh preached too long and feels like any other day. But if we are concerned, if we are living as Jesus calls us to live, open our eyes. There's people in a fire all around us. And not only are they in a fire today, they're going to be in a fire forever. Unless we show them and tell them about who can walk with them in the fire. Because who you're with in the fire changes everything.